When I was introducing the passage this morning, I used a word, grace, which means unmerited favor. Or in other words, being given something that you don't deserve. Now, I want you to think about someone who showed you grace. How did that feel? For me, always one situation stands out. When I was in college, I got into a car accident. I was just parking, um, I was just actually packing up from a Bible study, which I was leading for some teenagers at a pool from someone that was at our church. Now, this house that the pool was at was very nice. It was very large, they had a wonderful large pool, and it was right along the Chesapeake Bay. Now, not only did they have all these nice things, they also owned a boat. When I got into my car and I started to back up, I did so without looking. And I slammed, instead of on the brake, onto the accelerator. And I ran straight into the boat. Not only did I damage my car, which on top of that I was borrowing from my parents, I damaged the boat as well. As soon as I realized what I had done, I realized I had to have two very difficult conversations in a matter of minutes. One with the owner of the boat and one with my parents. I knew it was coming. I had very little money in the bank and I was going to have to use that to pay for everything to repair the boat and fix the car. Yet in each conversation, first with the boat owner and then with my parents, Each of them showed me a vast amount of grace. Neither of them asked me to pay for any of the damages caused by my horrific driving. Their concern immediately was not for their possessions, but for my personal safety. Not only not paying these damages, but showing that concern above their possession showed me what grace really was. I deserve punishment, but instead I was shown mercy. In our passage this morning, in the midst of God's wrath upon humanity, we see him show grace to his faithful follower, Noah, by saving him and his family from a worldwide earth-destroying flood. By God's grace, he calls Noah and he commands him to do his will. He provides for Noah in his calling, and he serves, or he saves Noah and his family by providing an ark for salvation from the great wrath that he then pours out upon the earth. Not only were the people of Noah's day deserving of God's holy wrath, but we are as well. Yet because of God's love for humanity, he calls and commands people to do his will. By his grace, he then provides salvation and so, so much more, while still pouring out his wrath upon those he chooses and when he chooses. Throughout all of this, God continually shows his love and how he is just, not only in Noah's day, but now. Let's first look at how God, by his grace, calls people to do his will. We see this in chapter 6, verses 9 to 20. Now last week, Pastor Mark preached on the context of our passage today, how the earth was corrupt and how a lot of things were going on. Sin was on full display. No one was living according to God's word. We see this repeated in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 6. The whole earth was corrupt. 
like a ravenous lying lion looking to devour anything that is holy. Instead of following God's command to fill the earth and subdue it, people filled it with violence and lawlessness. And because of this, God says he will destroy all living flesh on the earth, for the earth is in ruin. For as a mentor of mine was fond of saying, great sin requires great wrath. Many times we think about how wicked could this, these people have possibly have been for God to send his wrath upon them. How evil were their actions? Sometimes we even think there is no possible way that we could ever be even close to that bad. But hear me, humanity is no less wicked today than in Noah's time. We are all deserving of God's judgment. Yet verse 9 shows us that there was one man who was following God. A man who walked with God, meaning that he had a close relationship with him. A man who by his faith was seen as righteous. A man who was also seen in the context of his culture as blameless, meaning without fault in the eyes of his neighbors. And this is who God calls to do his will. Noah. Now Noah was by no means perfect. We see later how he sinned and we know from Genesis 3 that he is under the curse of sin. And from Romans 3 that all have sinned, meaning they have broken God's law and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet God calls this fallen man to do something that will preserve God's creation from extinction. And to serve him by building an ark for the salvation of all. For God has made a promise to his creation back in Genesis 3 that he would send a savior to save his people from their sin. And God had not yet sent this person. And since God is a promise-keeping God, He provides and protects Noah to keep His promise to Adam. Now let's look at that word ark for a second. Or in Hebrew, teba, which literally means box. Okay. Now this word only appears one other place in the Bible when, talk, when not referring to the actual ark of Noah. And that is in the book of Exodus, chapter 1. It's the same word that describes the basket that Moses was put in in the Nile River. Moses, who is the writer of Genesis and Exodus, is showing us that God will continue to provide for his people by giving them the Savior that they need. As God saved Noah from a watery death by bringing about the refilling of the earth, so does God provide Moses watery salvation to bring about Israel's salvation from slavery. And as we see in the New Testament, the Father sends Jesus, the Son, to be our ark. Our ark of salvation from sin. For just as God called Noah and Moses, He calls people today to be saved. Now this concept of calling, it's important. God called Noah to follow him by making an ark and repopulating the earth. But God also calls people to do more than just massive world-saving events. 
If you are a follower of Jesus, he has called you by his grace, not only to salvation, but to serve him. Now, people's callings, they come in all shapes and sizes, but they have one thing common, to serve God and do his will. Most times when we hear the the word calling, it's in connection to an elder or a deacon. And yes, God does call pastors, he does call ruling elders, deacons, and all that, to leadership ministry. But he calls other people to other things. He does call other people to serve or to lead or create ministries. He even may may have you call you to be a, a missionary. But he also calls people to be a father, a mother, a grandparent or a child, to have a job or to be a student in which you can live the gospel in your life as an example to others. Some of these callings are more extensive than others. Some require more skill than others. Some callings, they may come later in life. And some may come as early as childhood. For instance, if you are a child, one of your callings is to obey your parents and to learn, whether it be about the things of God or other types of education. A calling, though, takes time and effort and skills, which God will grow and shrink as he sees fit. God might also call you to share the gospel at work or at school or with your family and any type of recreation in a way that only you can because of how God has prepared you and gives you the opportunities. No matter what God calls you to, whether it is something big or small, God will prepare you and provide for you in that calling. He will also be with you throughout it. For you cannot do God's will without His aid. You may experience times of persecution, temptation, but no matter what you will face, God will be there to help you, to guide you, and to give you strength. With the account of Noah, God not only calls him, He gives Noah specific commands that he must obey. We see this in verses 14 through 21 of chapter 6. God has called Noah to build an ark that is 400 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, and to be covered with a roof and sealed with pitch to make it watertight. Also inside the ark, there are to be decks or different levels and rooms to separate Noah from the animals and to separate the animals from each other as well as a door in the side to get in and out of. Now, this isn't the fullness of Noah's calling, though. It's just the building part. But let's pause on that for just a minute. If you have spent any time building anything or making something, you know that it takes a lot of planning and hard work and concentration in order to fashion your creation into reality, whether it's blueprints from a house or really bad picture diagrams from Ikea directions. You have all built something. We've all been there. And as you know, with most times with building, there comes three things. Frustration, fatigue, and usually mockery from other people. Sometimes the people that you're working around or with, they start to question you. Why are you putting it together in that way? Maybe how much time it is taking you to do so. Or even maybe laugh at your missteps. We have all been there. 
And this is most likely what would have been happening to Noah. For building a ship must have looked like a ludicrous idea, especially for a people who had never seen rain before. Because the way humanity acts now is no different from the way they acted then. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, if you jump forward to Genesis chapter 7, verse 6, and in verse 11, and really just do the math, Noah would have been working on this project for at least 100 years, and possibly up to 120, depending on how you view chapter 6, verse 3. No matter the case, Noah's calling was difficult. He had no carpenter but himself and his family, no contractor he could give the work to, no modern power tools, nothing that we see as vital today to even making a bookshelf, no less a humongous ark. Yet Noah persevered for at least 100 years. In the calling that God gives you, there will be times of frustration, of fatigue, and mockery. No matter what God has called you to, no matter the type of call, the length of the call, the destination, or even the cost, for there will be cost, God will be with you. He never leaves us. He never calls someone to a task without equipping them first. While it may be difficult for us to follow God's calling, to follow his commands, whether it be in your job or as a member of your family or anything else, we are to follow God by faith rather than by sight. As Noah did. We see this later as it's talked about in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 6 through 7, which is reflecting on Noah's life. And it says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is, and he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And actually, if we take a step back into Hebrews 11.1, 1, it also says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. From the example of Noah and throughout all of Scripture, we see that we cannot fulfill the calling that God has given us on our own. We must walk by faith rather than by sight. We must faithfully follow God knowing that what God has begun, He will bring to completion. For God does not get frustrated like we do, nor fatigued, and God does not mock. Instead, God loves in ways that we have a hard time even fathoming. The account of Noah continues in chapter 7, where God explains to Noah more about his calling. For there is a big issue that we haven't looked at yet. How God, by his grace, is going to provide for Noah we see this in chapter, or verses 1 to 16 specifically. Now, in the verses before chapter 7, God had called Noah not only to build the ark, but here's the other big part, to fill it with all kinds of animals. For as verse 16, or chapter 6, verse 17 says, everything that is on the earth shall die. 
Therefore, Noah is to bring, and this is from Genesis 6, 19 to 20, two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every short sort shall come into you to keep them alive. How in the world was Noah going to accomplish this? Even with a hundred year, even with a hundred years to build the ark, this massive hulking thing, he was still going to have to spare enough time to gather two of every sort of kind of animal. Now the text here can be a little bit confusing. The words make it seem between kind and sort. When we translate that from Hebrew into English, it makes it sound like he had to grab every single type of species throughout the earth. So every kind, of do- every kind of breed of dog. But what the scripture actually is showing us, it's not every breed, it's one type of dog, not every subspecies. One type of elephant, not every single species of it. Now even with limiting all of these kinds of animals, that still leaves more than our imagination can even cope. How was Noah to do this on top of building the ark? The easy explanation is he wouldn't have been able to do so on his own. And that's precisely the point. Genesis 6.20 shows us that God is the one who brought the animals to Noah. He graciously provides for Noah so that he can do his will. And this is the theme of God's provision. And it continues through chapter 7, verse 4. He provides Noah with an update, like a notification on on a phone. Rain is coming in seven days. For God didn't give Noah a set date of when this flood would happen. We also see in chapter 7, verse 13 to 16, that on the day the flood was to arrive, God shut them in the ark meaning he closed the door in on them. If you look closely at the instructions that God gave, there is only one way in and one way out of the ark. Only someone from the outside could have shut Noah and his family in. This underscores God's sovereign power and that all things were going according to his will and purpose. Even more so, the ark is being described as having no steering mechanism, like any modern boat would. The boat literally would have had to float on the water wherever God put it. Noah had no control. He had to fully trust in God's sovereignty to get on the ark, or to build the ark, to get on the ark, to fill the ark, and to survive on the ark. That is God's sovereignty right there, shining like a bright star in the darkness of the sky. And the best news of all is that God's sovereignty has not diminished over time. God is the same today as he was yesterday. And he will be for eternity to come. For time has no effect on God's abilities. He is sovereign over your life as he was Noah's. He is sovereign over all of creation, for he is the king of creation. The question is, are you trusting in God's sovereignty to provide for your needs? A few weeks ago, I taught um, and shared with you on the need to cultivate a God dependency. 
How we need to completely rely upon God to provide for all of your needs and to come before him in prayer. Here again, we see the same. We see Noah's actions in these chapters as an example for us to live by. Following God's calling on our lives. Trusting him to provide all that we need to live life for him and live life in him. God provided everything to Noah, everything that he needed to fulfill his call, instructions, time, and supernatural intervention. He also provided Noah with a promise of salvation from God's wrath. We see in the beginning of chapter 6, verse 18, and it's explained further in chapter 9, this word covenant. Now, covenant is just a promise. And it's a promise that God made with Adam back in Genesis 3.15 to bring about a Savior who would bring salvation to people from sin. And in chapter 6, verse 18 and 19, or sorry, in chapter 9, God is renewing this covenant with Noah and would again renew it with Abraham, with Moses, and with David. God provides for Noah and his family salvation from his wrath so he can fulfill his promise to send a savior in these verses god is bringing a present salvation to noah so that a future salvation can be brought for all this covenant is explained further throughout the old testament as as it progresses that god brings about this savior in jesus born of a woman yet god or in other words fully God and fully man. He sends Jesus the Son to come to earth to live a perfect, a sinless life according to the law, to die the perfect sacrificial death on the cross and be risen from the grave on the third day, dying the death which we all owe, the death that we need, the death that we were, um, our punishment deserves because of sin, experiencing the wrath of the Father And he gives this gift of grace, this gift of salvation, freely to anyone who calls upon his name. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God's provision was wonderful in the days of Noah, and it is even greater now with the fullness of salvation of Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. This morning, we have seen that God provided for Noah to fulfill his calling as well as salvation from God's wrath. Yet God does even more to provide than what we need just to be sustained. Or sorry, the more than we just need. He sustains Noah during the flood, which we see in chapter 6, verse 21, through chapter 7, verse 5. In 621, God commands Noah to gather every sort of food. All All that was needed by his family as well as all the animals. But there was where were they going to store all this food? How much was needed? Noah followed God's command, and God provided Noah enough food for his entire family and for all the animals. Exactly what was needed for them for the entirety of their journey. But God didn't stop there. Verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 2 and 3 says this, Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, a pair of the animals that are not clean, 
the male and his mate, and seven birds, or sorry, seven pairs of birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. God provided not only for the near present, but also for the distant future. God commanded Noah to bring an excess of clean animals, which would not only be used to eat, but for sacrifices to God. He provided in one sentence for all future sacrifices. God's grace via his sovereignty shines again in this passage. And it is as true today as it was then. God's sovereign will is not just for this exact moment or for the current struggle that we're dealing with. His will encompasses all of time and his provision is just the same. God provides in the present to help you thrive in him with the future. God strengthens you now for what lies ahead. God provides again and again in so many ways. For example, if you are a follower of God, one of the reasons it's important to partake in the Lord's Supper when it's administered, for not only does it remind us of the sacrificial act of Jesus on the cross, it gives us strength for the present and future trials we face. God provides again and again, and he shows his love for his people. Therefore, we must trust in him to provide, whether it may be large events or things that are small in nature. He will provide what is needed. For God's love and grace is full. Yet, be, yet because of God's full is full of grace does not mean he is not just. We see this throughout chapter 6 and 7, but plainly in verses 11 through 24. For God has declared that because of the corruption on the earth, he will bring a flood of waters to destroy all flesh which is in the which which is the breath of life under heaven everything that is on the earth shall die at least 100 years after god called noah and promised a worldwide flood he delivers in spectacular fashion for what god was about to do had never been seen before god brought down rain from the canopy of water in which he separated the sky on the second day And he rose up water from around the land all over the earth. So much water that it took 40 full days, 40 days and nights, and a total of 150 days to fill the earth with water. So high that the tallest mountains, and if you do the math, converting cubits into feet, was at least covered by 20 feet of water. All of God's creation on land was destroyed. We see this in verse 21 and 23 of chapter 7. It says this, And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who are with him in the ark. God's wrath was thorough. Nothing on the land except the ark was left alive. 
Now let me pause here for a moment. Why did God destroy everything? All plants, all animals and people. How was that fair to them? Didn't God only tell Noah and his family? And why didn't God command him to save as many people as he could? Or to make an ark big enough to save all of humanity? The simple is, simple answer is, every single person on earth, from Adam to now, is guilty of sin. Which is the punishment is death. And eternal separation from God. So they were guilty and God chose to execute his wrath. It is not that they did not know of the impending wrath of God. We see this in um, 2 Peter 2.5. That Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And in Hebrews 11.7, that he condemned the world. We also see that in 1 Peter 3, that the Son, by his Spirit, preached to the people as Noah was building the ark. They had been told. Yet there was no repentance. God is very patient and long-suffering. He gives people a lot of time to repent, to turn from their sin. But like in the days of Noah, God's wrath will not wait forever, for he is a just God. He does not have to save people from their sin. Yet out of grace, he saves those whom he's chose, not because of the things that they have done, nor the things that they will do, but out of love for them. As Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 show, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. After the flood, God promised to never flood the world again. But he did not promise to stop his wrath forever. Whether people hear of the problem of sin or only see it in nature, a time will come when the day of judgment will arrive. When everyone will stand before the throne of God on the day of judgment and be judged. And all will be found guilty because of sin, unless... They have Jesus acting as their Savior, acting as their advocate. If Jesus is your Savior, His righteousness, His perfect, sinless life is applied to your account. Your sin is forgiven, and you are not judged by your actions, but by His. This is an act of grace, a gracious gift to humanity, which He promised back in Genesis 3. Everything continues to point back to this chapter and to that verse. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you will be judged by your works. And because of, there is, because of your sin and the sin of Adam, you will be found guilty and live forever separated from God, tormented in hell for all eternity, of which there is no reprieve. God's, God's wrath is very real. But so is His grace. Seek the Lord where He is found. Come before Him in prayer, asking to be forgiven of your sin. And today you will be forgiven. For God's gift of salvation by grace is just as powerful and is all-encompassing as His wrath. Like Noah, you will be saved. Nothing else can rescue us from sin not money, not fame, not superstition. 
only the grace of God, which is Jesus' righteousness applied to your account. He is the ark of salvation. And it's an ark not made of wood, but of the blood of Jesus that he shed for sin. Amen. Please close with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We also see that your wrath is real and that you are a just God. Father, we ask you today that if there is someone in here, someone online, or someone that we know that does not know you, Father, that you would give us the ability to share the gospel with them and that they would turn from, from their sin to you by your grace. Father, we thank you for the grace that you have provided as we see with Noah. And that came even greater with your son, Jesus. Thank you for providing him to be the ark of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we close this morning, we're going to sing a song of response. Praising the ark of salvation. Praising him for the blood that he has shed by singing nothing but the blood. And as we, as we sing, I want you to look closely at verse 3. It says this, Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can stop our deserved judgment except the blood of Jesus. Praise be to God for sending Jesus, and praise be to Jesus for shedding his blood for sin. Please stand and sing.